We continue our sermon series entitled Encountering Jesus by looking to the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. It's in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. We see the encounter of Jesus and the paralytic man. Every week we're looking at unique encounters that Jesus has with people like you and me and we see not only the historical narrative but we see how everything instantly changes. So as we look together to Mark chapter 2 and the story of Jesus and the paralytic man, we're reminded of the profound healing power that is found in Jesus alone. When we read the Bible, we believe at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church that this is the very word of God. We believe that God is speaking to us through his word. And aren't we grateful for that? that in the fog and the storm of life that we have in the word alone, a true north. Would you give your attention to the word of God this morning? Verse one of chapter two. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And I pray that you leave today, saying, I encountered Jesus, and I have never seen anything like this before. The grass withers and the flower fades, but no, not the word of the Lord. It stands forever. Amen. A deep, deep longing in every human soul for healing. In the brokenness of this world, in the brokenness of life, we experience brokenness and the need for healing in a myriad of ways. You might be here this morning longing for healing and and restoration. You might be saying, God, I need physical healing, or maybe it's emotional healing or relational healing. We, We see it with the brokenness of individuals and the brokenness of families. We see it certainly in the brokenness of our nation and the brokenness of our world. People crying out for healing, but trying to get it in a myriad of ways, but deep down inside of each person to our core is a longing and understanding that there just isn't something right. 
There just isn't something right in my life. There isn't something right in this world. A deep, deep longing for the healing power that only Jesus can bring. 2,000 years ago, the paralytic and his four friends knew that healing was necessary, that healing was necessary that could only come through Jesus Christ. But little did they know the healing that would be granted that day. Let's study the healing power of Jesus together as it's found here in the Gospel of Mark chapter two. What happens when a paralyzed man and his four friends encounter Jesus Christ? Well, the first thing that we see here concerning the healing power of Jesus is the providential means. The providential means of this man eventually being healed. In verses three, four, and five, we see the context of what is happening. Jesus has come to Capernaum. He's in a home. Uh, supposedly, there's a, such a great crowd that is gathered in and around the home uh, that these four friends carrying their paralytic, this paralytic man, can't even get close to the home. Uh, but that doesn't stop them, does it? They climb on top of the roof. Picture this. Uh, furiously dig a hole on top of the roof and in and through the roof and lower the paralytic man down on his bed to the feet of Jesus. And it's interesting and fascinating what Jesus says. How does Jesus respond in this passage? It says in verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, meaning everyone involved, he looked then to the paralytic man and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And now there's, some, some, there's a lot of things going on here that need to be parsed out. First of all, we, we don't believe that this man, this paralytic man was saved on behalf of the faith of his friends. We, you're not saved on behalf of your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith. You're saved individually uh, by professing your faith in the work and the salvation of Jesus Christ. But why does the author mention the friend's faith? Why is that even relevant? Well, in an individualistic culture, we need to be reminded that although our faith is deeply personal, God uses extraordinary means in his providence to bring people to faith. It's the reason Jesus mentions the faith of the friends is he is acknowledging that this man didn't get to the feet of Jesus by himself. And neither did you. God used in his providence extraordinary means to bring you to salvation. Make no mistake to think that you got to Jesus by yourself. Make no mistake that this paralytic man somehow could have gotten to the feet of Jesus. God reveals to us in this passage the providential means of the faith of four crazy friends that would not relent until their friend was at the feet of Jesus. I wanna ask you two simple questions this morning in light of this. One, is there somebody in your life right now that you would do whatever it takes, even climbing through a hole of a roof to get your friend to the feet of Jesus? They would not stop. Nothing would stop these men to get them to the feet of Jesus. God used their grit and their relenting, relenting spirit 
that they would do nothing to stop getting this man, their friend, to the feet of Jesus. Who's that individual in your life? How determined are you to bring the lost to Jesus? You can't save them, but it can be your determination that God would use in his providence to save the soul of the men and women around you. But second question, not only how determined are you, but do you have friends like this paralytic man? Do you have four crazy friends in your life that when you are hitting rock bottom, when you're in a state of suffering, when you are in a state of despair, do you have friends that are able to get in your face and say, don't worry, I will carry you to the feet of Jesus? Do we have friends and individuals in our lives that are able to confront us in love, that are able to hold us account accountable, are able to tell us not what we wanna hear, but what we need to hear? Do we have four crazy friends that will do ever, whatever it takes to bring us and to carry us to the feet of Jesus? Jesus in the end is the only answer for healing but God uses his people as the means. And listen to me, your faith might be the very means and the very instrument of getting your friends and your family to Jesus. God uses the providential means of four crazy friends that will not back down until their friend is sitting at the feet of Jesus. The second thing that we see here concerning the healing power of Jesus is we see a deeper need it's interesting, in verse five, we see a surprise. The four friends are bringing the paralytic man, no doubt, for physical healing. They want their friend to walk. And you can imagine the surprise when Jesus declares, your sins are forgiven. You can imagine their surprise and their reaction. Wait a second, we brought my friend for physical healing, not for the forgiveness of sins. But it's in that moment that Jesus is revealing a much deeper need than what is on the surface. You see, Jesus recognizes that there is a deeper need, that there is a sickness of the soul, that if the sickness of the soul is not cured and healed, it doesn't matter if this man can walk again. And so goes it for us that we can have everything going right in life, we can have our health, we can have all of our physical circumstances going right, but listen to me, if your soul is not cured by Jesus alone, it means nothing in the end. There is a cancer of the soul that must be cured. All throughout the Bible, we are told that we have a sickness and it is called a sin and it leads to death and our sin has separated us from God and the only cure to bring about reconciliation with the God that we've been estranged from is the curing, healing power of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about his physical condition. We just read in verses 10 and 11 that he eventually cures the paralytic man. And if you've listened to my preaching, you know here at Coral Ridge that we believe in the cosmic restoration and redemption of the gospel, that one day God will make all things new that God's gospel brings about physical and spiritual restoration. 
but the physical restoration and redemption and healing does not come before the spiritual deeper need of the man. Why is this important? So often in our consumeristic driven culture, we treat God as if it's his first business and priority to provide for us what we want. God give me this, God give me that. When instead it is not John's priority or his business to give us what we want, but instead to give us what we need. The paralytic man wanted to walk and Jesus said, I have something more that you need. You need a spiritual healing of the soul. Do you know what kind of hope this gives us in the midst of struggle and trial and suffering? And how often do we say, God, would you take away my temporary circumstances? Would you change my environment? Would you give me a spouse? Would you give me children? Would you give me a new job or a career? Would you give me a spouse that I actually like? Thinking that God taking care of our physical circumstances would bring us wholeness and healing and happiness. It might actually be the current trial and suffering you're experiencing that God is using to reveal what you actually need, that God is actually working through the trial and the suffering and in his providence and his sovereignty, using that to shape you and conform you into his image to reveal to you that your greatest need and priority is to know Jesus and to make known his work in your life. God responds to the paralytic man not by giving him what he wants, not the dream of what he thinks he needs. He responds to the paralytic man by giving him and answering his deeper need, salvation of the soul, curing the sickness that has separated him from his God. But how does this happen? How does the healing power of Jesus, how is it made a reality? Third and lastly, this healing power of Jesus comes at an extraordinary cost. In verses six and seven, some are not too happy with what Jesus has just done, pronouncing the forgiveness of sins. Uh, it says that some of the scribes were putting Jesus through an excruciating theological examination. And they wanna know what right do you, Jesus, what right do you have to declare this man forgiven? He sinned against God, not against you. But that's precisely the point. It's in this passage that Jesus is revealing that he not only is fully man, but that he is fully God. It's in this moment that he is revealing that he is deity, that he is the word made flesh, for only God could pronounce forgiveness and grant forgiveness for someone that has committed sins against a holy God. And in order to flesh this out for us, Jesus asked a question in the form of a riddle. And it's sort of a trick question. He says to the scribes, what is harder? To say that you're forgiven or to heal a paralytic man? Well, I'll ask you the question. Have you ever offered somebody forgiveness? Hopefully every hand in the room would rise. At some point in our life, we've had to offer forgiveness. We've granted people a word of forgiveness. Let me ask you this question. 
Has anyone in this room ever healed a paralytic man? Good. If anybody raised their hand, I know we'd have some deeper problems here. But here's the point, and the reason it's a trick question. When you and I offer forgiveness, it simply comes in the form of a word. It's one finite being offering forgiveness to another finite being. But here in Mark chapter two is a different situation. It is the infinite God offering forgiveness to a finite being. You see, a simple word of forgiveness will not do, and Jesus is revealing why it is so much harder for Jesus to offer forgiveness than simply heal a paralytic man. Jesus is revealing that it will require my substitutionary atonement on the cross. He is revealing that in order for the infinite to forgive the finite, it will come at an extraordinary cost the substitutionary atonement on the cross, that Jesus will experience hell and separation from his Father, that he takes on our sin, and in return by faith alone, we receive the very righteousness of God. I mean, how many people do not come to church on Sunday morning simply because they think they don't measure up? But that's the point of the gospel. You don't measure up but Jesus does. That his salvation, the hope of healing is not dependent upon whether you measure up or not because you can't. The promise of the hope of salvation and the hope of healing both now and forever is riding on the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That Jesus went to the cross and separated from the Father because of your sin so that you would live with life to the full both now and forever, knowing that you will never be condemned by God the Father, but eternally loved and saved forever. The only way you and I can be reconciled to a holy God is through the vicarious death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf, the true, deep, and better healing that each one of us needs. David Berkowitz wreaked havoc upon New York City in the 1970s. If you're not familiar with the name David Berkowitz, you might remember him as the son of Sam, taking the lives of many between 1977 and 1978. Eventually, after incredible manhunt, he was arrested and tried and sentenced to 300 years in prison. But 10 years into that sentence, Listen to what happened to David Berkowitz. Quote, he writes about 10 years into my sentence, a fellow inmate urged me to read the Psalms. I resonated with the anguish and the depression that the ancient David expressed. One night I was reading Psalm 34 verse six, which I can quote by heart. Quote, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I began to cry. I turned off my cell lights so the other inmates wouldn't see me. I got down by my bunk like a little kid in the dark. And I cried out and I said, Jesus, God, I don't know who you are. I don't know if you have any interest in me. I don't know if you hate me or what, but I want you to know that I need you that I want you to know that I trust in you, that I am sorry and ask for forgiveness for the wrong that I have done. 
I just sat there and I cried and I cried and I cried as I turned to the only one that could bring me healing in the midst of such brokenness. To this day, the other inmates call him pastor. That night, he went to bed, not as the son of Sam, but as the son of God. Now, nothing in his circumstances has changed. He is still in prison. Nothing about his physical realities has been changed at all. But he knows that when he lies down for the last time and closes his eyes, they will not open and find himself estranged from his father. But through the work of Jesus Christ and the healing power of the gospel alone, he knows that he will forever be in the presence of his God. If you have not experienced the healing power of the gospel, if you have never experienced the healing power of Jesus Christ, I implore you today that you would look to Jesus this morning. In just a few moments, we are going to pray. And you can pray to this God through Jesus Christ for the very first time and receive the great healing, the great healing of the soul that will give you the security and the peace and life to the full both now and forevermore. This world is broken. This nation is broken. I don't think I'm enlightening anyone this morning by sharing that news. But make no mistake about it that government and legislation is not the answer. The only thing that can solve and cure a sin-sick nation and sin-sick souls is the healing power of Jesus Christ and him alone. And so if you have experienced the healing power of Jesus Christ, may you go out from this place this morning declaring and demonstrating to a lost and dying world that there is only one name under heaven by which you can be saved. And may we bring the light of the gospel and the healing power of the cross to a lost and dying world, to a broken nation and sin-sick people that can find their only cure in Jesus and him alone. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, may we trust in no other name other than the name of Jesus. Lord, granted, there are individuals here this morning and those watching at home that have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. On the one hand, there's no news this morning that would remind them or enlighten them to the reality that life is broken, that this world is broken. But it may be for the first time that this revelation becomes true to them, that only Jesus can save broken sinners like us. And if there's anyone here listening that needs to experience the deep, deep healing of the soul that Jesus alone provides, may you look no further than to him. Simply looking to him by faith, believing that he lived the life you could never live, died on a cross that you should have been on only to be raised on the third day. For you and for your justification, may you place your trust in the only one that can save, 
He offers you this morning complete forgiveness, complete healing for wounded and weary sinners. So would you come home so that you could lie your head on the pillow tonight knowing with full confidence that you are a child of God, not by anything you've done, not by anything you could have done, but through the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ and him alone. Lord, I pray for this church. May we trust in no other name other than Jesus Christ. He is our hope. That's what gives us power. That's what animates our calling. So may we be bold witnesses for the glory of God and the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of a lost and dying world so that they might know Jesus and be saved forever. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.